Well, hey, good morning, church. Um, you know, it is hard to come from a a serious somber moment of prayer for this conflict into a sermon. But I was reminded last service, and again, you know, today, that what we're talking about in this series, this Oikos series, is really all about being very intentional with bringing the good news to our to our household. We'll talk about it more today. And this is the hope of, of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus proclaiming Jesus boldly, being intentional about it, being serious about it, is what our world needs. Mm-hmm. And that's what our, our, our local world needs. That's what the global world needs. And so um, there's never a, a bad time to talk about the good news of Jesus. There's right. never a time where it's, it, you know, this is why we've gathered. And I am so I'm so fired up about it, church, because this isn't just another series for us. This is honestly a way that we want the church at Lake Mead to start to look at the world. That's why we gave those glasses out a few weeks ago, um, that we want this to be a a filter, a, a lens that you see life through, that we start to think about those people in our world that need Jesus. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I haven't even introduced my friend Ooh, up here. Amen. But I'm really, uh, so I am excited. Tyler is joining me today. Tyler, man, yeah, come on. Tyler, uh, graduated 2017 here from our church, our school. I was one of his teachers. I, I loved him in class. He was always a blast in class. And um, he went off to GCU, got a degree in theater performance. Yep and is working in our theater department, arts department here at the Academy and works with our middle school. But more importantly than any of that, got married this summer to Maddie. So Tyler. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here this morning, guys. And last time, uh, last Sunday, you saw me and my wife, Maddie, and we were talking about this middle school group that we're launching that we're super excited about here at the church at Lake Mead on Sundays during second service. We'll all worship together and then we'll go and uh, have our own thing. And then Jeremy started talking last weekend. Wasn't that great? I mean, I just, I love uh, him and his word that he brought last weekend. And this book uh, that this series is based off of called Not My Church by Tom Mercer has really just like changed my perspective, right? It's this lifestyle that we're talking about, about looking through the lens towards our oikos, right? And so last weekend, I was just super fired up. I shared this at Vision Night a little bit, but throughout this series, Maddie and I have been talking about how like we want to look to our left and look to our right and just feel like our oikos is with us, right? And this desire for bringing the kingdom of God to our oikos. And I got super fired up. I was writing notes all last service and I shared it with Brad and Brad was like, well, why don't you join me next weekend and we'll share about it. And so that's kind of where this was at today. So next weekend, middle school, we'll go to our service. But yeah, we're excited for that. And so talking about oikos. Yeah, yeah. So what is this weird word oikos, right? And if you're new today, if this if you haven't been a part of our series the last few weeks, it's the Greek word for yogurt. No, just joking. It's a Greek <laughs> word for household, right? And so that just, it means the, the people that are in your household, right? These are the people that you are connected to. And this might not be just the people in your physical address, right? These are the eight to 15 people that, that you connect with on a regular basis, that, that you know, that know you, and that honestly, you can have an influence at. And one of the first um, topics or, or, or messages of, in this series was, yeah, the church is, is called to bring the good news to the whole world, but I'm responsible for my world. Right. I'm responsible for those eight to 15 people that, that I know that, that are around me, that I, that I work with, that are my neighbors, that I, I, I constantly, you know, kind of always am, am 
doing business with, those people that I have in that sphere of influence. And so kind of what we really want to dial in today is this question, who is in my oikos? We're going to kind of really come full circle at the end of the message on this question. But that's really what we're talking about in this whole series is who are those people? And who are those, th- those people that, that honestly, guys, I need to be responsible for? That's part of what happens when you become a parent. And Tyler, you'll find this out. Okay, when you become a parent, you realize I am responsible now. Like, oh my gosh, there are little humans that depend on me, right, for, for, for existing. And so that, that is, a, that is a, a growth moment in your life, right? And friend, can I tell you, that's a growth moment in your spiritual life. When you start to take responsibility for the people around you, so that they know Jesus, that's a growth moment in your life. Like honestly, having that, that, that attitude of, hey, I'm responsible for my world. I'm responsible for those people that, that I know, right? How can I bring the good news of Jesus to them? That's right. That's right. And we talked about those lenses on the first week, right? We gave the church those sunglasses and we were talking about that. And we've talked about this responsibility of being responsible for my world, right? And what that means is really we are the mobile temple, right? We're on mission in that way. And so you notice the church team today, we've got these temple shirts on, they're out there as well. And then last week, Jeremy talked about how we have this aroma about us, whether we know it or not. When we walk into the room, being the mobile temple, being uh, profound Christ followers, right? We have this aroma about us. And sometimes, guys, it is an aroma that is like enticing. It's this perfume, right? It's this candle aroma that people want to come toward. But guys, sometimes it stinks, right? And, and he talked about that last week and the humor of it, right? But also the, the responsibility of this aroma and knowing that we're going to go to people in our oikos that both see this enticing aroma and this aroma that stinks, right? And being able to understand how we talk to both of those people is something we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And this becomes part of the challenge, right? right. Because if, we've, if you've kind of been watching the news and seeing kind of how the, the culture is, it's not a surprise or it's not a secret really that we've had a lot of culture shift away from faith mm-hmm. in the last you know, couple of decades for sure. And it seems to have accelerated some. We see this in Europe, we've seen this in Canada, but we're seeing this in our own country is that there's a deep, deep um, distrust with organized religion and the church that's becoming more and more predominant. In fact, in my lifetime, uh, in the I was born in the 70s, so confession here, right? (laughs) It was about a 70% kind of favorable rating. Like people were like, yeah, the church, church leadership, you know, they had, you know, whether you were Catholic or Protestant or whatever, uh, even, even like rabbis, they were like held in higher esteem. That number has decreased by half today. Right. And I think even worse among young adults. Right. Well, in the same study that talks about that, talks about this younger generation, and that's like 18 to 34 in that range. That's me, Brad. I yeah, that's that you. Um, and talking about this generation, though, that places their confidence in their church at a lowest of 35%. Yeah. Nobody is, it has this confidence in the church that we've seen in the past, right? And there's this idea in this quote from this book that we're going to talk about um, throughout this series, and it's a great book, so pick it up. Um, but Tom Mercer talks about this. He says, if you're a Christian, a lot of people in your community already think you're a horribly judgmental person, even a hater. I hope they're wrong. I hope they're wrong. And that, that creates a problem for us. Right? That creates a problem If people already think before we walk into the room, because we're image bearers of Christ, because we are the mobile temple, they're already perceiving us as hating people, yeah. right? Even if they're wrong, that's how they are perceiving us. Yeah. 
So, so this Oikos series about bringing the good news to those people in our lives is, is already kind of like something that meets some headwinds, some resistance. Right. So we really want to kind of address this question today. How do we, how do we talk to people about something they don't want to talk about, right? How do we have conversations if there's already kind of like a, a prejudice in a sense, yep. right? That Christians are judgmental or, or somehow, you know, what we stand for is somehow wrong. And this idea that, man, we are representing the person who taught love your enemies. We are bringing the good news that God that loves you, that he doesn't want to condemn you, but instead he wants to save you. And somehow the enemy has been so crafty and poisoning the minds of so many people against that very message. Right. And so we need today to talk about how do we have that flavor, that fragrance, right. that as best as we can, Right, how do we bring Jesus into our oikos? And I'm so excited about this story today because we're gonna learn from the master. Yeah. We're gonna take a seat and listen to how Jesus just navigated kind of uncomfortable situations with people that you wouldn't have associated with, but he does it in such a beautiful and artful way. And I wanna, so we're gonna talk today about, about the day that Matthew, the tax collector, becomes one of the 12 disciples. It's a beautiful story. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 9. But we're going to also jump to, to Luke, chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be. But I want to, I, want to, I want to dive into this story. But as we do this, I want to remind you of a feature that's so common with Jesus. He didn't judge a book by its cover. Jesus believed that people were more spiritually thirsty than you might assume. That regardless of the persona, regardless of where they kind of, how they carried themselves, Jesus knew that everybody underneath all of those layers wants a relationship with their creator. He assumed it and he believed it. And I think we see it in this story with Matthew, the tax collector. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter nine. I love this story. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Here's Luke's account. We're going to jump back and forth. And instead of Matthew, the name is Levi. Don't let that throw you. It's the same guy, different, different name. He had two names, probably a family name and then a, maybe a common name. We're not sure. But here's Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi or Matthew sitting at his tax booth follow me, Jesus said to him. Here's a little more detail. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. So we're introduced to this guy, this guy, Matthew. And this guy, Matthew or Levi is a tax collector. But what you haven't seen in this story is he's a, he's a tax collector in the city of Capernaum. That's going to be really important for our, our talk today. Capernaum is an important uh, location for Jesus, as we'll find out. But I want to kind of remind us that these are real people who really lived and they had relationships with each other. And I want to kind of draw some details from the background into the foreground about this fact that this is Matthew, the tax collector at Capernaum. Guys, Capernaum is the same city where Peter and Andrew, James and John live. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. And it's reasonable to think that Peter, James, and John, and Andrew have a fishing business together, okay? They're kind of in business together. Matthew is the tax collector at Capernaum. I want to draw this for you. Matthew is likely Peter's tax guy. 
probably not his best friend. Are you with me today? Okay, right? So we're going to need to draw these connections because these are real connections. Matthew lived at Capernaum. He's, he's commissioned by Herod Antipas to excise taxes from anything coming out of the Sea of Galilee. So if it's coming out of the Sea of Galilee and then being traded to the rest of that region, it's going through Matthew's tax booth, all right? So I want you just to have that in your background. This is important. And so this story provokes some questions, right? I mean, and, and, and I want to do a little pastoral moment here. Guys, I want us to read our Bibles with a little more uh, of an active posture. I don't want us to just kind of passively read the story. I want you to ask questions when you read it. Here's a couple of questions you should be asking like of this story, right? Number one, why does Matthew leave everything and follow Jesus? Like, does Jesus have like hypnotic power over him, right? Does he walk up to him as these are not your droids or something? You know, does, does he do that? No, he doesn't. He doesn't have this like mesmerizing power over people where they just against their will have to like leave their stuff and follow him. Right. Why does Matthew leave everything and follow Jesus? Well, and the second one in that, right? So we understand that question. Why does Jesus invite Matthew in the first place, right? Yeah. Like, why him? Um, what do we make of that question, right? Why is, out of everybody there, does Jesus go to Matthew, the tax collector, and offer this invitation? Yeah, those are huge. And so those two questions are gonna kind of frame our, our sermon today. I wanna go back to this passage where Jesus first meets Matthew in Matthew 9. It says this, it says, as Jesus went from there, he saw this man, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And I wanna highlight in this time through those words follow me, follow me. If you are a student of the gospels, those two words, follow me, should like trigger a, a connection for you because those are, are, those are basically Jesus's common words to people. It, 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 and it would be really good, a good study for you to take a, a highlighter or a pen or something. And as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and try to connect every time Jesus says, follow me. Try to, try to network that through the, the gospels because it's powerful, right? There's a pattern that Jesus has. So let me give you a couple of now, and you can do your own homework later. In John 1, he comes up to Philip and he says those same words, follow me. Later, Andrew follow me. In Mark chapter uh, one, he comes up and he says again, follow me. In Matthew chapter four, he calls James and John with the same two words, follow me. Later, he'll call in Luke chapter five, some unnamed person. We don't know the guy's name, but Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And that man, instead of leaving everything to follow Jesus, he doesn't respond positively. He says, I got to go bury my father to which Jesus famously says, let the dead bury the dead. The rich young ruler, you might know his story. At the end of that conversation, Jesus says, hey, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and then follow me. Unfortunately, he didn't follow Jesus at the end of that conversation, instead leaves sorrowful, right? So here's the point. Not everyone responds positively to those two words, follow me, but that seems to have been Jesus's pattern. An official invitation, guys, can I, can I dare say it? A personal invitation. Mm -hmm. Leave what you're doing and follow me. I love what Mike Wilkins says about this. He says, whenever someone in the gospels responds positively to that two, those two words, follow me, 
It is the pivotal moment in their life. They literally are never the same after that moment. It's as if their old life died and they start a new life. Follow me. So I got to go back to my question, right? Why does Matthew do it, right? Is that curious? Are you curious about that? Like, why? Like, why does he leave the tax booth and according to Luke's version, everything he had to go follow Jesus, right? And guys, I want to just kind of paint a little more of this backstory a bit. By this point in Matthew's career, he's had to kind of swallow some bitter pills. He's had to become, he's kind of had to make peace with a few realities, right? The fact that he's chosen this tax collector's lifestyle, he's already has had to say goodbye to a lot of his former family. No, you know, he's called in Mark's version, son of Alphaeus. I'm not sure Alphaeus likes to, that he's his son, right? Are you with me, right? He's already had to make peace with the fact that most of his country is not gonna like him, right? He's already had to make peace with the fact that he, all the kids he grew up with probably hate him now, People like Peter probably want to kill him, right? Like he's already made peace with that and he's already changed his social network. So he's exchanged maybe his childhood chums for all of these other tax collector buddies, which we're going to meet in a minute, right? So number one, when, so Jesus is meeting Matthew mid-career, okay? He's already made all these choices and he's like living with them, right? And why does he make those choices? Well, because it's a good life. I mean, it's not a good life socially, but you, you know, you'll get these new friends. But financially, it's a good life. You, you, you might be known as a trader, but you're a rich trader. You know what I mean? So this guy, Matthew, has kind of come to peace with those things. And so at first glance, you might look at a guy like Matthew, or I would, and think this guy doesn't want anything I have to offer. This guy's got it all. And he's already made, he's already comfortable with that, those choices, and he's enjoying the fruit of that choice, right? He's, he's got the friends, as you're going to find out. He's wealthy, right? And so why would Matthew follow Jesus? Let me explain some of the speculation, right? If you look at these other patterns in the Gospels, especially if you look at Matthew or uh, John and James and Peter and Andrew, if you look at those two sets of brothers, we learn that they follow Jesus really quickly, they leave their nets. Do you remember that story? Peter leaves his net. He's a fisherman and he follows Jesus. But there's more detail given. There's not a lot of detail with Matthew, but there's more detail with Peter. And what we find out is that wasn't the first time Jesus met Peter. It wasn't like Jesus walks up to this complete fisherman stranger and says, hey, leave your nets and follow me. In fact, Jesus had been ministering to Peter for weeks, maybe months before that, that invitation to follow him. In fact, the ministry to Peter's heart starts with his brother, Andrew, who's a disciple of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, the one who foreruns Jesus, the, the one who is like Jesus's cousin, who's going before the crowds and saying the, the king is coming, make way, a path in the desert. John and, and uh, James and John and Andrew are all disciples of John the Baptist. And so when Andrew talks to Peter, his brother, he's like, hey, John the Baptist was saying, there's this guy named Jesus we need to meet. And so you have that whole backstory happening. So here's the first point. It's probable based on that pattern that this isn't the first time Jesus ever meets Matthew. Are you guys with me? You follow me there? Right? There's some other ministry happening, but there's even more evidence for this because like I told you, Matthew's the tax collector in what city? Capernaum. Can we all say Capernaum? Capernaum. 
What's so special about Capernaum? Well, I have a picture because I was in Capernaum. Guys, I really hope to take more people to the Holy Land. But here's, here's the town of Capernaum. And if you notice, it says above my head there, it says Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Um, why, is it, why is that the title? I thought he was born in Bethlehem. I thought he was, you know, grew up in Nazareth. Why, why does it say Capernaum, the town of Jesus? Because this is the very town that became the headquarters for Jesus's ministry. Jesus has a base of operations. He does more miracles. He does more ministry. He has more relationships in the town of Capernaum than anywhere else. Guys, it's in the town of Capernaum that Jesus heals people late into the night. The text says, until it's like the whole town was there and he healed them all. It's in the town of Capernaum that the crowds are so large when Jesus is preaching that he has to get into Peter's boat and push away from shore to teach. That's the whole town, you guys. I was there. It's not a big place. And you can see right where that would have taken place. Just outside of the city limits of Capernaum is the likely place where Jesus teaches the famous Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so why am I giving you all these details? Because this is the soil where Jesus is planting good seed. He is investing. Guys, he even heals Peter's mother-in-law. Guys, I'm gonna say he heals Peter's mother. How else do you demonstrate like sacrificial love, right? to heal his mother-in-law, his mother-in-law. <laughs> he loved his mother. Anyway, it's true though. It is true. It happened hey, we, when we were in Capernaum. I, sorry, I'm joking around. When we were in Capernaum, uh, we actually went to Peter's house. That's cool. They actually excavated Peter's house. So cool. Right? And, and it, was, it was, it's cool. I can get on a rabbit trail here. I can't do that. But so guys, I'm telling you, Jesus ministered for months in Capernaum, okay, likely had conversations with Matthew. Here's our first point here, guys, and this is huge. This is actually the point of the whole message. Right. Jesus invested in people, guys. That's right. Jesus invested in people. And when you invest in people, you can invite people. That's right. That's why Matthew says yes, right? He had a knowledge of Jesus and the ministry that he had done because Jesus invested in the city of Capernaum. And let's see what happens next year, because this to me, like when we were prepping this this week, is actually really funny to me. Um, and so we'll see if it's funny to you. So let's go back to that in Luke 5. And this is the response of Matthew when Matthew says yes to that call of Jesus. This is what Matthew turns around and does for Jesus. It says here, then Levi, Matthew, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And so I want us to imagine for a moment, I'm a visual person, right? How this must have gone down, this banquet, right? Brad has given us all this great backstory for who Matthew is as a person. And we know Jesus is a rabbi, right? Jesus is a rabbi that has his disciples, his followers. And Matthew is the tax collector of those guys, right? Mm -hmm. And Matthew invites other tax collectors and all of these people that, we that was probably known as like thieves and sinners and all of that, right? And this rabbi gets extended an invitation to go eat with them in his honor, right? It says right there, in his honor. Um, it says in, the, in Luke's account. And so 
I wanted to imagine what this is like, and Brad revealed this earlier, right? But I was a theater major, and so I was thinking of like a movie depiction or something like that, and I thought of this movie, The Greatest Showman. Has anyone seen that movie? No, familiar with that movie, right? We have this man who puts together this show, right? This man who's never been with a crowd like this before. And go ahead and throw that photo up there for me. And this is just like the depiction that I have in mind, right? Of all of these people that like would not likely host a rabbi and his followers, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And how funny that is, right? We have people that are from their perspective, the disciples' perspectives, they're like, what am I doing here, right? Yeah. We have these people, you know, this man with all the tattoos and the lady with the beard, right? I doubt that's what was actually there, but the same perception, don't miss that, the same perception of what that is. And the point here is this, Matthew responded to Jesus' inv- Jesus's invitation and now Jesus is going to respond to Matthew's invitation it's so good. to come there, right? That quote I shared earlier about this perception that's on us, he goes on to say this in that book. He says, the only way we're going to set that record straight is to invest quality time and to allow the skeptics the chance to get to know the people we really are. Yeah. So how do we do that, Right. How do we do that? And we understand that this point, right, that I'm about to make, and then we've got a fun story for you there. But investing in people, right? This is Jesus's mission right here. As we see, he goes to this house with these tax collectors. Guys, investing in people is gonna take us to some uncomfortable places, right? It's not always gonna be this comfort um, situations that you put yourself in, but that true, genuine investment is gonna take us to places where we go, what am I doing here? Yeah. Right? If not for Jesus, I wouldn't be in this room. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about this this dinner too. I wonder how many times one of the tax collectors says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I said that, Jesus. Yeah, you know, yeah, excuse yeah. me. Let me you watch know. my mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because you, this is the crowd, right? This these are Matthew's friends, and I just love the innocence here. Matthew has found Jesus, and he's inviting his friends. Yeah. Like right away, he becomes a missionary to his oikos. Like Good. this is just a beautiful, like in, innocent, like hey guys. I met Jesus, or should I say, he met me. Yep. Like he's inviting me, someone like me, yeah. into, his, into his 12. And I want to bring my friends, you know? Yep. And there was a funny story with you and me. Uh, we went on this mission trip when you were in high school. Yep. And we went to some uncomfortable places right. and I was so worried that your mom would find out, but it was all good. Okay, so. She might find out through this. Yeah, this sure. I don't know if I ever shared the story with her. No, but it's this, uh, this moment that Brad and I are in the Bahamas. I'm a junior in high school. And so this is about eight years ago now, which is wild to think about. And uh, this church that we were doing missions with really wanted to send us out and invite the whole community to this community gathering they were doing. It's this church service at night for all of these families. And we're walking along the road and we've got the cards and we're handing them out and we come up to this building. And this building was a restaurant down below. And then the people lived upstairs that owned the restaurant. And guys, it had just burnt down the night before. Like, I will never forget, like, it gets me a little emotional talking about it, but I will never forget the feeling of heat. Yeah. Yeah. That like the embers were still hot of this place. And now here we come, these people who have no investment into this community and we're walking up to this house and we're supposed to extend this invitation to church without any investment. And so we didn't, right? We didn't. And what ended up happening was Brad and I were just like, how can we serve you, right? How can we best show up and serve you today? And before we know it, Brad and I get put into this little four-door sedan and with the locals, and we're going to like the local Lowe's. I don't even remember what it was called, right? And we're just, how can we help? How can we financially support you? We bought all this wood, and here's my favorite image of this story, right? This idea of going to uncomfortable places because you're investing in people and their souls. 
Brad and I driving down the road in the Bahamas in a sedan, and the only way to keep the wood on the roof is to hold it out the window. <laughs> That's us. And you've been to, if you've been to a foreign country, you know they don't drive like us, right? And so whipping down the road, and I'm looking at Brad, and I'm thinking that thought, right? Oh, if my mom only knew, right? As we, <laughs> I was like, hold, I hope we don't get a wreck know, right now. That'll be hard to explain. Oh my gosh, like, we have, like, what like, are they? Wood out the window, and then we're holding it onto the ceiling, right? <laughs> but guys, this this whole idea, right, of investment. That would not have been the moment where we could have walked up to them and told them about this church gathering yeah, we wanted good. them to come to yeah. without first showing them the people that we are, yeah. right? And so that investment is so important. You know, in that story, I just felt like God had brought us for that purpose, yeah. that it's perfect good. moment. You know, it's like mm. that was the night that the house burned down. We had resources from our mission trip that we brought. We raised money. We didn't know. Sometimes we'll have extra money just, just for like an in-the-moment mission uh, yeah. opportunity. And it was like instantly the spirit, like, yes, yep. just help them. It was like the perfect setup for that. So good. And guys, here's the point of this, right? Investing in people is going to take you to those uncomfortable places so that you can earn the right to invite them. Yeah. Earn the right to invite. You have to earn that. You can't just expect that invitation to be accepted yeah. if you don't first show the love of Jesus, right? You have to earn that investment, right? We're going to talk about that some more, but you have to earn that right to invite. That's what sometimes is one of the biggest obstacles in our way. Yeah, and it comes from an authentic place. This right. isn't some a gimmick thing. Right. This is like genuinely, I love people. Mm -hmm. And this gets to back to our dinner where you see a transformation right. happens here at dinner that's Good. so powerful. Good. So back to our dinner, look what happens at the dinner. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. And here's their complaint. And their complaint makes sense. From that culture, this makes sense. Jesus is a rabbi. His disciples are students of that rabbi. And they seem to be trampling on Judaism by, by having table fellowship with sinners, people who are not Torah observant. And so this makes a lot of sense from their point of view. The question is, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. I want to look at the way Matthew records the response. They all record the response, but Matthew adds something that I want to highlight. So here's how Jesus responds. Jesus hears it, and he answers for his disciples. Because remember, they're asking the disciples, and Jesus is like, I'll take this one, guys. Okay. So he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says this, but go and learn what this means. Remember, he's talking to teachers. So he's telling the teachers they need to learn something. So here's the kind of funny thing. The teacher is going to teach some teachers That's right? because they need to learn something. And what he does is he quotes an Old Testament prophet, Hosea 6, 6. Uh, that's the chapter and verse. And, and he quotes, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me unpack what Jesus says they need to learn because this is so powerful, church. He says, guys, you need to understand something about God that you're missing. God desires mercy. You think the most important thing to God is scrupulous 
law keeping, that the sacrifices are just perfect. That is not the most important thing to God. What the most important thing to God is that sinners can find mercy. And I'm here on a mission of mercy. I'm God coming to humans because humans need mercy. We don't need more sacrifice. We need the point of the sacrifice. We need the, the sacrifice who Jesus is to bring mercy to a world. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Earth is running from heaven. So heaven, come on, came running for earth. That should get us excited right there. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Guys, here's the point. Jesus came to bring mercy to people who needed mercy. The problem with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is this. They didn't realize they needed mercy. And when you realize you need mercy, you marvel at mercy. And that makes you a merciful person. When you realize you're forgiven, that changes your heart and that makes you a forgiving kind of person. People who don't extend forgiveness haven't received forgiveness. Jesus teaches that in Matthew 19. So the point of the matter is this, friends, when we are showing up loving people, it's because we've been loved. Come on. It's because we've been transformed. That's why we want to go and serve people, not because we're trying to do some kind of gimmick. It's authentically, we've been changed by the one who showed us mercy. And so we want to show mercy. We show mercy by the way we love people. We show mercy by, by spending time with people that no one else would spend time with. We show mercy by, by saying, listen, this is how Jesus lived his life. This is the way Jesus spent his time. He didn't care about your pedigree. He didn't care about your net worth. He didn't care about your social status. He just cared about one thing. Are you interested in what he's offering? Are you thirsty right. for living water? And if you're thirsty for living water, I'll pull up a chair and I'll have fellowship with you. I'll break bread with you because I care about everyone. That's the mission of mercy. That's the powerful, powerful moment that Jesus shared. And there's one thing that I think we could be struggling with even now, right? With this whole sermon. So, okay, Brad, that's great for you, right? You're this <laughs> pastor and you study the Bible, but man, I don't have all that Bible knowledge. Right. And you told me about this this week and I love this, this little story yeah. that really illustrates how to share it, even if you don't have all the training, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Talking about that. I'm a theater major. Come on, Brad. Okay. Um, so this, this, this depth of knowledge, right, can sometimes feel so limited. And I think sometimes we're like, oh, once, once I get there, right, with this depth of knowledge, then that will naturally come. But I, I want to point us to a story today that's found in John 9, right? And it's the story of this blind man. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a preface, and I'm going to point out what's important in this and why we're talking about this today, right? And so Jesus comes into town, and he finds this blind man. And this, they begin in this conversation about his blindness and where that came from, right? It's just a sin of his parents. It's just a sin of himself, right? And they enter into this conversation. And Jesus, and don't miss this, on the Sabbath, heals this blind man. He takes the mud, he puts it on his eyes, and he sends him on his way so that he could be healed and so, he that, so that he could see. Because he did this on the Sabbath, the Pharisees get mad, right? They, they call into question this blind man, right? And after countless times of, t of questioning, they question him a couple times. They question his parents. Guys, he was so transformed by the ministry of mercy that Jesus had for his life and by the, the, uh, the, the miracle that Jesus did of curing his blindness that his own family, it says in verse eight, doesn't recognize him. They think it's just a man who looks like him, right? They don't understand it. And after questioning, he responds this way. Go ahead to John 9 for me. It says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. This is the blind man. I have no idea, right? Here's what I know. 
I was blind. Come on. Now I see. Amen. Which brings us to this point, guys. This guy doesn't know. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know all these correct things, right? I, I don't know this Christian doctrine, all of this, right? Guys, just tell your story. That's our big point here with this idea, right? Just tell your story. You'll always be able to combine it with the story, with your story, with um, what Jesus Christ has done in your life, with the doctrine that you already know. Guys, so go and tell that story. That vulnerability is so important. That's what's gonna take that investment to the next level, the investing in time in that. And here's what I wanna say with this. Investment takes time. And we have to understand that investment's gonna take time. It's gonna take time getting to know one another. And we have three kind of steps that we're gonna break this down in, right? So if you could throw that next thing up there, we really believe it's this way, right? You invest, right? And invest in and investing and investing, right? And what the Holy Spirit is gonna do there is he's going to ignite them, right? That investment's happening so that the Holy Spirit can open up this moment of igniting, right? And then you come through and invite right? If the Holy Spirit is going to, if you're going to invest and invest and invest, the Holy Spirit's going to meet you there. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, or I guess it's a couple months ago now, right? Of this idea of you give God the effort and he's going to supply the energy, right? You give God the investment and watch him ignite that person for a conversation about Jesus. The guys, the goal is not always just to get them in here in the building. The goal is to have a religious conversation with them, to earn the right, to earn that conversation in their life. And then extend that invite, guys. But we can't jump ahead. The investment has to start first. And so talking about that investment today, Brad. Yeah, that's right. So when you walked in today, you were given a card. If you could pull that card out, um, we want to end today with that card. Because I said at the beginning, the question we really want to answer is who's in our old class? Who's in that 8 to 15, you know, member seat? And if you open up the card, you'll look at the, the four groups. You'll see the first one, it says pre-Christian. And I love that, that worded that way because that's so hopeful. Who are those people in your life that are not yet believers? And what we want you to do at the church here is we want you to really think about who are those people that I talk to on a regular basis? Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they are people that are at work. We want you to spend this week praying and, and really asking God for four names. And we want you to put those four names there. And then I want you to go to the next group. The next group are the prodigals. These might be people in your friend group or your family who you know used to walk with Jesus. And maybe a church hurt, some kind of sin caught up their life and they don't follow Jesus anymore. I want you to write those names and those other groupings. You see what we're doing, guys? We're getting serious. We're writing names down. This isn't just kind of like, oh, we'll get to, no, we're making this a really important point in our life. The next group, these are your, these are your friends that are walking with Jesus with you, right? These are the people who are kind of like, they're with you on this journey. They're fellow believers that you're going to start praying for, these are people that you care about, that you know are really trying to follow Jesus and they're trying to invest in their oikos. So you're gonna write their name down, right? I'll write Tyler's name down, Tyler. I'm praying for Tyler as he tries to just live the Jesus life in front of his friends and in front of his neighbors, right? So that, that would be in that third group. And then the final group, these are people that are just new into your life, but you have your antenna up, so to speak. You're just always thinking, 
man, maybe this person is someone I could build a relationship with. They just got transferred to my, my department, you know? They just, they just moved in next door. And I don't know them yet, so I can't put them in that first group, but they might be on that group one day. And I'm starting to pray for them because I'm always looking. I love what it says in the book of John. Jesus is always looking where the Father's at work. Let's all stand together, church. Because I wanna, I wanna cast some vision to you as we end. Guys, what if everyone at the church at Lake Mead, those watching online, those that are here today, what if we all got serious about going to uncomfortable places to bring, bring the good news of Jesus? Guys, what if every single person in your friend group knew no doubt where you stood, but they also knew you were the kind of person praying for them? You're the kind of person that would do anything to show them authentic love because you're a follower of Jesus. Guys, you might've come to church today. Can I just get real with you? You might've come to church with a truckload of problems on your shoulders. And you might be looking at your watch thinking, okay, this service wasn't really about my problems. I'm leaving church with the same problems I, came, I brought in. I still got a troubled marriage. I'm still financially over my, you know, out of control. I still got this diagnosis that I'm stressed about. I don't know what maybe you've brought into church, but can I just say something? Can I just remind you of something? Those problems that we all face are ancillary. They're secondary, right? That doesn't mean they're not important. But guys, we're told by Jesus to seek first the kingdom of heaven, to seek first the kingdom of God. Like that we're supposed to, that's where we're supposed to start, right? And all of these other things, God will supply. He's he takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. He will take care of us. Guys, he is looking for people to partner with, to go to the places that he wants to go, to the unwanted, to the unlovely, to the hurting. Maybe our focus needs to stop being on all of our problems and we start thinking, how can I get elbow deep into just loving the world? How can I just get arms in to the people in my, in my oikos who need the light of the world to shine into their darkness? And maybe my problems won't take such a front row seat in my consciousness all day long. Maybe I'll start seeking first the kingdom of heaven. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're Matthew in our story. You're the guy or the gal who kind of made their decisions and they're living with them. And you've got the, the you're painted with that, that broad stroke, a sinner, a bad person. And you heard the story that Jesus wants to have a meal with you. And that brings you hope. It should, because it's true. Can I just have our heads bowed in an attitude of prayer as we end today? And I just wanna say one thing, no matter where you're at, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers you, right where you stand, you can hear the words that Jesus said so many years ago, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I didn't come for those who are, who are feeling healthy. I came for those who know they're sick. And if you hear this morning and you know you're sick, and you know that Jesus is the one who can heal you, right where you stand. I want you just to cry out to Jesus. I want you to say, God, I know. I admit that I, I am a sinner. I admit that I've done so many things I'm so ashamed of. And I need forgiveness. And I believe in Jesus. I believe he died in my place. 
he took the hammer that was going to fall on me. And on the cross, he dies for all the things I deserved. And I commit my life to Jesus as my king from now on. Jesus, you are king. I follow you. Right where you stand, you could pray a prayer like that. We at the church want to walk with you on that journey. Next Sunday, we are having a baptism. And if you want to declare in front of everyone that you follow Jesus, you need to be at that baptism class at nine o'clock and then get baptized at 11 and tell the world who you belong to. If you need prayer right after this service, we'll have our prayer team right up here to pray with you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be a people known for our good works because we glorify our Father, we live like the Son, and we do it in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name.